you ever need a vacation from your vacation in Europe, I can recommend a little time to unwind in the mountains of Switzerland. The Swiss Alps come with their own distinct mountain culture, and being in the most expensive corner of Europe, prices can be as high as the peaks. Joining us for a practical guide to Swiss mountain travel are tour guides who know it well, Don Kimura and Macy Hitchcock. Don and Macy, thanks for joining us. Nice to be here. Hello, Thank you. Rick. Macy, what are the big commercial hits of the Swiss Alps? Places like uh, Chamonix. Um, you've got kind of the bigger resorts in places like Gestad. What other ski resorts, Don? Can you Sa- think of any Summer ski Ritz? resorts? Summer Ritz, yeah. Okay. Um, big resorts. So, now, Chamonix would be just over the border oh, yeah, in, in France. France. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but, Sorry, not Switzerland. Uh, but it's, yeah. it's almost, you hardly know it because the Alps just cut right through there. Yeah. And we've got elegant jet city ski resorts. We've got, of course, the Matterhorn. Yep. And when you go to the Matterhorn, uh, it's a dead-end train line, and then you're surrounded by incredible hikes. What's your favorite famous area in the Swiss Alps, Don? Well, of course, it's going to be the Bernese Oberland for me because yeah. I lived there for 10 years. So you um, know that well. That's the area of the Jungfrau and the Schiltorn exactly. and the Eiger. Yep. Now, there's traditional areas. Uh, I, I know that in Switzerland they joke about the people in Appenzell because they're so backward. They only gave women the vote about a generation ago. Don, from your time living in Switzerland, uh, it's a modern country, but at the same time it's quite a traditional country. Yeah, and the traditions are different from canton to canton or state to state. Mm-hmm. Clothing is different. The food is different. Music is different. The, the terrain is so rugged that five miles away the crow flies could be on the other side of the world because you physically can't get there without going all the way around the mountain range. Exactly, and probably until uh, late 1800s, early 1900s, before trains and public transportation, these valleys were kind of isolated and they developed on their own. So what's an example of the, the amazing diversity you'd find in a small country like Switzerland? even traditional dress. Uh, if you put on a traditional shirt from the Lauterbrunnen Valley, somebody from another part of Switzerland will know exactly where you're from just because of the color of your shirt. Just because of the color of your shirt. Yeah. Also in Austria, it's the same. Now, Macy, when you're in Switzerland, you'll find uh, it's a small country, but four different languages. Yes, there are four different languages. The main uh, majority language is Schweizerdeutsch, which is like a Swiss German. Mm-hmm. It's German, but not as you know it. I'm a fluent German speaker. I sometimes have trouble understanding it. Is that um, right? Yeah, okay. and they speak High German to me, or Hochdeutsch, which is a, is the standard German. But that for them is a foreign language. And followed by that, you have French. Uh, which is actually just like French with an accent. It's not so much dialect, and that's spoken pretty much in the West. And then you also have Italian, uh, which is spoken in the Ticino region in the South. Apparently that's just an accent, has an accent, but it's Uh not a dialect. And then you have Romance, which is the smallest, which comes from Latin, and it's a very, very minority language. And even in the area where it's spoken, which is Graubunden, which is in the East, um, the majority of people actually speak Swiss German, so it's it's dying out. Can you give us a, a little bit of the difference in just the sound of the Switzerdeutsch, the Swiss German with the High German? Um, do you want me to do one? Yeah, you do one, Don. Well, when I worked in Switzerland, of course, there was a I managed a hotel for a number of years, and there was a bar, and people would come in and order a drink. And if you were to order that drink, let's say, can I have a beer, please? You would say in High German, can ich ein Bier haben, bitte? In the little town of Gimmelwald, they would say, yo. <laughs> so it's, uh, it, it's, it's kind of funny. Do another one. I love that. That's cool. What else would they say in the, um, in the Swiss uh, The weather seemed to be a big part of everybody's daily greeting. So you, you would say, Grüezi miteinander, schönes Wetter heute, gal. They roll their R's a lot. It's, a very, it's a, a very alpine thing to roll your R's. They do it in Bavaria as well. Yep. And everything yeah. is sing-songy, it sounds yeah. like. Now, uh, when we learn in school, we say Guten Tag, and you're hiking up in the Swiss Alps, you're, you'll encounter different people greeting people in different ways. 
Yeah. Macy, what would you hear when you when you want to greet somebody? In okay, the Alps? so you have lots and lots of different dialects within the Alps, mm-hmm. uh, and I've been told off of saying this in the wrong way. But when you're walking in the Alps, you should greet people coming towards you wherever they're from with "grüezi." Grüezi. Grüezi, and you really pronounce the e in it. So when you read it, the temptation is because it's spelt G R U. E or umlaut Z L I is to go grutzi, mm-hmm. but they always really pronounce the E. And sometimes you might come across someone who comes from the Bern region mm-hmm. and they'll say grusach, and it'll just depend where they're from as well. This is Travel with Rick Steves. We're speaking with Macy Hitchcock and Don Kimura about mountain Switzerland. Our phone number is 877 333 7425. Mike's on the phone from Kennewick in Washington. Hey, Mike. Hi. My wife and I, we uh, toured the Berner Oberland area in 2006, and we're both retired now, and uh, we're planning a trip to Europe, and we're going to be spending a month in Switzerland, and we want to do it uh, entirely by train. So we're going to be going back to the Berner Oberland again. We want to do some hiking because the last time we didn't get much hiking because my wife injured her foot, so we want to do some hiking. But uh, our primary purpose... Uh, is uh, to see the area again, but we also want to see everything and try to tour most of the country. And we want to do it by train, so we're trying to figure out what's the best route to take uh, going from city to city and then ending up somewhere in the south of uh, Switzerland so we can make our way into Italy. Don, do you have any advice just general about using the scenic trains in Switzerland? Transportation in Switzerland is quite extensive. It's probably one of the most extensive of any country I've ever seen. There's various special package prices that you can get mm-hmm. for, for, for all the public pass, transport, Swiss pass, and that kind passes, of thing. Family passes, weekend passes, you name it. So, Mike, be sure you know what your options are. And uh, as far as the hiking is concerned, I'll say all of the good hikes, you can actually do a lot of the part of those hikes by public transportation. You can do them all by hiking, but you can go up by public transportation to a certain point, continue walking, and take public I transportation. I think that is so important. For instance, probably the best day of hiking I've ever enjoyed in my life was uh, above Interlochen in the Berner Oberland. I took the cogwheel train from uh, Wildersville up to, where, where was that? Kleine, no, Schenigaplatt. Schenigaplatt, right. Yeah. And then I walked on a ridge, and I just, I'll never get over this. I walked on a ridge for like six hours. And I got to first, right? Mm-hmm. I went past a sort of an elegant mountain hotel that people hike into, a Faulhorn. And then I yep. got to the top of the chairlift at first, and I took the chairlift back down to Gimmelwald. But the point is, I was in alpine glory all day long, but I rode the lift up, and I rode the chairlift down, and it was all sort of moving forward. I didn't come back to my starting point. And I was just in Chamonix. I did the same thing. You can do the same thing in Appenzell. Anywhere in Switzerland... I think Don's point of taking advantage of the public transportation. And in Switzerland, high in the Swiss Alps, Don, do a quick review of the different kinds of vehicles and trains and lifts that you can oh. encounter. Uh, you've got cog train, regular trains, cog trains, funiculars, which is kind of like a train cable car, but it goes up on a track and a cable. One comes up when one goes mm-hmm. down. Cable cars. They also have buses. The postal bus system is something that's kind of unusual in Switzerland. It not only delivers the post, it delivers people. So in part of your combination of taking different public transportations, train and cable cars and whatnot, you should include a postal bus uh, that takes you part of your journey. Now, even you can take a car onto a train that goes through the mountains. Uh, So there's just, you'll find that you can get around surprisingly conveniently in the Swiss Alps. And a lot of times you've just got to decide, am I going to take the extra time and nausea by switchbacking all the way up and over the mountain pass? Or do I just want to go right under the mountain? 
Macy with tour groups, you probably save the time and you, you avoid the nausea and you go right under the mountain. Actually, you know what? We don't. We go over them because we get the best views. Uh-huh. That's the thing. I mean, there's the time factor. Of course, you have to take that into account. But in places like uh, the Gotthard Pass, you, of course, you can go through a tunnel. You can go through on the train. You're, you're through a lot more quickly, but you miss this incredible scenery. Mm-hmm. And the climb up and the climb down, the descent, they can be quite hair-raising, but they're utterly beautiful. And I'd say there's places like the Grimsel Pass, which is one of the highest alpine passes in central Switzerland, 3,000 metres high. Uh, your ears are popping by the time you get to the top. There's serpentines, that's what they call them in German, I think switchbacks uh, in the US. It's worth doing because you just get these incredible vistas that you just wouldn't get anywhere else. Mike, I hope that gives you some ideas. All right, thank you. Happy travels. Happy travels to you too. Diana is calling from Westmont in Illinois. Diana, thanks for your call. Hi, thanks for having me on. Uh, last June, my husband and I decided to take a trip to Europe for our 10-year anniversary a week in Switzerland and a week in Paris, and doing kind of a rugged part of the trip the first week sounded like a really good idea. And we had kind of a crazy hiking adventure. We did part of the Tour de Mont Blanc and probably went a little too early in the season. So I guess that's one of my common third tips is be really careful about when you go for these hikes. We thought we were coming in right at the beginning. It might have been a little early. We ran into some pretty bad weather. The trails were covered in snow. Some of the Mm. trails were washed out at points got uh, slightly perilous at times. It was still a wonderful trip despite all of that. The scenery was amazing. We learned a lot of lessons from it in terms of preparation, things like making sure you call you know, the refuges to see if they were open because it turns out a lot of them weren't yet. We really needed shelter. Diana, the uh, Tour de Mont Blanc, is that, that's a big circular hike around the Mont Blanc range, is that right? Exactly. So you can do kind of pieces of it. So we used a combination um we flew into France, trained to Geneva, another uh, transport to Chamonix, then took a combination of local buses and trains to get to um, Champé-Lac, which is kind of at the top of the trail in Switzerland. Uh-huh. And the idea was to hike back into Chamonix. Um, we ended up cutting it short because we were basically waterlogged and <laughs> freezing. And Sounds like you had bad luck with the weather. Uh, hey, just in a nutshell, yeah. um, how many miles and how many days would most people take to go all around the entire Mont Blanc, Tour de Mont Blanc? It's my understanding if you took it relatively easy, it'd be about 12 days. Mm-hmm. I think there's people who do it in eight days if you're more in shape than probably I am. You can definitely do segments of it. Right. Um, and then you've got public transit ways to come and go. You can ride the lift down and hop in the bus and get back to your starting point if you, if you like. Don, a big challenge for a lot of people is getting all excited about a hike but being there in the spring when it's remarkably snowed in. I mean, you lived in the Berner Oberland answering questions of tourists and hikers for 10 years. What are the seasonal considerations and the weather considerations when you're eager to hike, but you might have underestimated that the trails are way up there and they could be snowed in? That's actually quite a difficult question nowadays because of the climate change. You know, even being in the Bernese Overland in certain months where there was no snow, I find snow now in certain months where there was snow, there isn't any. Hmm. And I remember being uh, just past year in Chamonix area in May and June and late May, the lower hikes were closed because of snow. So the only recommendation I can say is to get on the internet or, you know, mm-hmm. the Chamonix sites and uh, and keep up to date with the weather patterns. And a great thing about hiking in the Swiss Alps is wherever you are, um, Macy, I would imagine you've seen that they've got uh, monitors where you've got a live camera from the top of the mountain. And before you spend the steep price to get up to the top of the mountain, don't you find you can yes, take a look at the weather? Yeah. Most decent alpine hotels are going to have those in their lobbies and they will change. And they'll show you all the different 
mountain tops in the areas as well to show if it's worth going up a mountain or not. You know, zero visibility, normally not worth it. What you also have in Swiss Alpine or villages or resorts is you'll have big posters or boards which have all the hikes and all the lifts and all that kind of stuff. They'll help they'll be lit up when they're closed or open. With the uh, red or the red or green, if yeah. it's open or so not. And, yeah. and I'll never forget just recently in uh, I was in Chamonix, which is over the border in France, but it could just as well be in Switzerland. Down in the valley, it was socked in. I got out of the hotel. I, I just thought, oh, this is so depressing. My hotelier said, it's great. Get up there. And I got on the lift, and it broke through the clouds, and it was glorious on the top. You need to go with local advice. You need to look at the weather cameras, and you got to remember a lot of times you got to get up early before it clouds up later on. Be prepared for anything. I've gone out on hikes uh, where it's beautiful and sunny in the morning, and then in the afternoon or shortly after you start out on your hike, it starts to get foggy. It comes up from the bottom. You can't see. It gets cold. It starts to rain. And sometimes it even snows. So you got to be prepared with umbrellas, rain gear, proper hiking boots. So uh, whether you're a, a nice, happy hiker or if you're a serious mountain climber, respect that weather. Yep. And remember, even if the weather goes bad and the visibility shuts down, you've got delightful walks down in the valley floor. And I've had some of my most beautiful days just down in the more mellow valley floor, even with a light rain. It can be very nice. I would just say one more thing. If you end up in that situation, as a piece of advice. Um, one, the, the lifts were closed, but we actually were able to follow the trail of the lifts into the town when we couldn't really see well. So we just kept following wow. the, the chairs above us and the lines until we found our way. Another thing is if you can't make it to the refuge, which is what happened to us, we couldn't make it to the refuge. We were scheduled to make it to the refuge, Albert. To make sure you call them, um, we called them when we got to town, back to Chamonix, and they were very grateful because they said they were actually going to send people out looking for us because the weather had turned so bad. Oh, my goodness. They weren't sure we were okay. So make sure you do that, too. If you're staying and at a local place and you can't make it, make sure to call them. I think it's important, too, that you understand the closing times of a lot of the public transportation. When you're up on a mountain and uh, you think you're going to hike until 5 or 6 o'clock, your last train down might be at 5 o'clock. If that's the case, then I would recommend also taking a flashlight. That's a good idea, and it can be very disheartening to be having had such a beautiful time and uh, such a beautiful day, and you get back to the station half an hour after you realize the, the last lift went, and then you're confronted with a pretty boring switchback, kill-your-knees descent into the valley when you could have done it. You even bought the round-trip ticket. You could have done it in 15 minutes on the Great Gondola. Yeah. Diana, thanks for your call, and have a Thank good trip. You. Okay, bye now. This is Travel with Rick Steves. Our phone number is 877-333-7425. And Julia's calling from Beverly Hills, Michigan. Julia, thanks for your call. Hi, Rick. Hi, Don and Maisie. Uh, I was lucky enough to live in Freeborg, Switzerland for a year with my two young sons and my professor husband while he was on sabbatical. Um, and we really fell in love with the Bernese Overland. So it's been fun to hear you chat about mm. that. Is that the French part of Switzerland, Freeborg? It is. It's just over the line from Bern. So it's yeah. only 20 minutes from Bern, but it's sort of a whole new world. <laughs> and that's sort of the flat urban area compared to the high mountains, but within an hour of all sorts of great alpine adventures. Oh, yeah. We just loved it. It's, it's actually fairly hilly. It's the pre-Alps, but yeah, it's it's accessible to all the gorgeous mountain trails that you're talking about. So you lived there. Uh, Did you find Switzerland pretty expensive to explore, or what are your budget thoughts on Switzerland for our traveling listeners? Well, I'm so glad you asked because actually it is expensive, but there are so many ways to make it less expensive than people think. Hmm. And one of those ways that I wanted to ask about was sleeping on people's farms. And it's something that we didn't actually ever get a chance to do hmm. because of weather and time constraints and, and things like that. But 
there is a website, but it's it's actually not that easy to find. And so I wanted uh, your guide's take on how best somebody can find out about something like that. Macy, what is the story with sleeping, uh, I think they call it sleeping in the hay, right? Schlaf im Stroh. Hmm. Schlaf im Stroh. Literally, um, sleep sleeping in the hay. In the hay. Yeah, basically, uh, farms, or they'll earn some extra money, because farmers obviously aren't making huge amounts of money in Switzerland. They all get up to, I think, about 70% subsidies for all their, especially dairy farmers. Huh. Uh, so they like to make a little bit of extra money on the side. And what they do is they'll usually open up a room in their farmhouse. They'll fill the floor with hay. A you, room or it's, it's part of it's where the cows stay, basically. Uh, yeah, it? it can be. But I think generally nowadays it tends to be slightly separate just okay. for kind of hygiene reasons. Uh, but they fill it with hay. They fill it with hay. Keep it pretty clean, actually. And you go in there, you take your sleeping bag in there huh. and you sleep there for a night. It's a bit like a, a very kind of basic B&B, bed and breakfast. And they'll give you breakfast normally in the morning. So you have some delicious fresh milk from the farm and have the cheese. Get to know the family usually who's running it if it's a family run business. It's a very good and cheap way to see Switzerland, but you need to be fit because normally you'll have to walk quite far distances to get to these places. They're not all on, you know, on public transport routes. So this is an organization with many of these farms yes. that rent out rooms to hikers, basically, yeah. and travelers. They're probably very clear, we're not a hotel. You're going no. to be sleeping in the hay. Yeah. It's going to be very cheap. Absolutely, But yeah. you're going to get a very intimate look at Swiss farm yeah. life. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't get much more hands-on, really, than that. I mean, oh. if you really want an insight into life on the Swiss farms, and this is a dying industry, I have to say, or even, you know, uh, it's basically dying out. Right. So it's, I'd say, go while you can. And there's one in particular that's actually in the region of Fribourg, not in the city, but the, the region, which is in this Röstigraben area, which you mentioned, basically means the potato ditch region where you have the language changing, the language barrier goes from German into French. Uh, and the French called it that. Um, but there the is one Roche called de Graben. They called it that because the, the Germans are always eating potatoes? Yes. <laughs> Kartoffelfresser, we'd say in German, <laughs> potato eaters. I've never heard that, the Roche de Graben. The Graben. Uh, it's this linguistic barrier. And there's one called the Bederalp, which I would recommend. Uh, it's a very good one that's run by a small family. Theirs is very popular. They also have a dairy, they have a cheesery there. So it's a, it's a great experience. All right. Julia, thanks for the insight. Thank you. You know, we're going back this summer, so I will definitely look that one up. That that would be really fun. All right. Thank you. Enjoy your potatoes and sleep in the hay. <laughs> Thank you so <laughs> much. Now. This is Travel with Rick Steves. I've been talking with Don Kamur and Maisie Hitchcock about enjoying mountain Switzerland. And let's sign off with just a little good Swiss-German uh, best wishes, happy hiking, and, and uh, happy travels. Macy, what would you say? I'd say adieu miteinander, which means bye-bye, everyone. And how, say that Gute with a, Reise. Now, in German, you'd say, in Hochdeutsch, you'd say Gute Reise. Gute Reise. And in Switzerland, you'd say? It'd be Gute, wouldn't it? Gute Reise. Don, how would you say goodbye and happy travels? I would say Auf Wiedersehen, and that's the Swiss word of saying Auf Wiedersehen. Auf Wiedersehen, looking until we look at each other again. Very nice. Each year, Rick Steves Tour Guides take thousands of free-spirited travelers on escorted tours through Europe, one small group at a time. This year, you can choose from more than 40 different vacations in Europe's best destinations, from Ireland to Greece, and practically everywhere in between. Begin your next trip at ricksteves.com.